Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, one more last time in our study through this magnificent epistle. This will be our 48th week looking at this book, and by God's grace, we should conclude our study this morning as we look at um, Paul's closing commendation and benediction. My, My intention this morning is to move through these last four verses And then, to end the epistle as we began, reading it in its entirety. Um, One of the side effects, one of the unintended consequences of studying verse by verse, week by week, is we sometimes can miss the forest for the trees. We need to go slowly to get the, uh, the marrow out of it. And yet, in its first instance, this letter was read publicly. And so I think it's good for us to experience it that way as well. I'd like to begin by reading the final verses of Ephesians, and we'll have a word of prayer, and we will dive in. Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Lord God, as we study these last few verses, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that um, your peace would be upon us with love and faith, that you would strengthen our love for your son, that you would unite our hearts to fear your name, and that we would experience the grace given to all who love the Lord Jesus with a love incorruptible. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In these final verses, which still connect with what came before, Paul brings his epistle to a close. Uh, These verses divide into two sections. First, commendation for Tychicus, or you may call him Tychicus. Um, My best guess is Tychicus, but it it, it doesn't ultimately matter uh, the pronunciation exactly. And then, in verses 23 and 24, a closing benediction, a blessing upon his readers. Um, In these verses, we'll see the tenderness of the Apostle Paul even though he's taught on lofty doctrine, even though he has spoken of um, glorious truth, he cares deeply for those he ministered with, for this church he planted, and he knows they care deeply for him. And we see that come out in this sort of personal touch. So I'd like to begin then by looking at the commendation, commendation for Tychicus in verses 21 and 22. So that you, may, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. So let's begin by considering who this man is. This is not his first appearance in the Bible. And Tychicus is an Asian believer who worked extensively with Paul. We we first meet him in Acts 20, where he shows up in a list of men going ahead of Paul, with Paul, to Jerusalem. Um, So Peter, the Berean, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, 
and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius and Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Tromephus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So he shows up already trustworthy, already someone Paul's willing to travel with. And he lasts through Paul's ministry. He was faithful at the beginning, and some who were faithful at the beginning who left, like John Mark, he returns at the end. Tychicus seems to be faithful all the way through. He shows up in uh, 2 Timothy 4, where Paul alone writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So Tychicus is present here. At this time, the letter is delivered. He will return later, at the end of Paul's life. And so, <laughs> in the first instance, he's the one, and here's your blank, the deliverer of at least two of Paul's letters from jail. Um, if he's not the hand courier, he's with that group. The, the instructions only make sense if Paul is assuming that with the arrival of the letter is also the arrival of Tychicus. So he may not be the one who actually had it in his hand, but at the very least, he's part of the group, the envoy sent from prison from Paul. And we know he carried this function out also to the Colossians. In fact, in almost word for word, um, virtually every word of these two verses is identical to what appears in Colossians 4, 7, 8. Let me read it to you. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So at least two instances, he is part of an envoy or group. He may be the sole envoy, but he's sending, Paul sends the letter with him. It's possible, and we don't know exactly, that he delivered both letters in one trip, that Paul sent him out from prison with both the letters to the Colossians, and we simply don't know. But it's, it's, a, it's an intriguing possibility. But in the first instance, he's the one who delivered this letter. And Paul titles him a beloved brother and faithful minister. And again, it's just remarkable to note how God values faithfulness. This man is faithful. He's faithful to Paul again and again and again. And he shows up in Scripture. He's forever immortalized here in these words for his faithfulness. And Paul loves him. I already pointed out that when Paul is at the end of his life in jail again and virtually all have forsaken him, Tychicus is one of the few who have remained steadfast and faithful to him. Um, One of the few. There are others. And, And Paul gives credit or he praises God on behalf of these faithful workers. In Colossians 1.7, he speaks of Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So that's, so that's who this man is. We don't know how he came to faith. He shows up in Acts 20, already somewhat trustworthy. And as far as we can tell, from that point to the end of Paul's life, he is a useful minister for Paul. He's beloved. He's trustworthy. He finishes the course. He's faithful to the end, or at least to the end of Paul's life. Um, now we get to why Paul has sent him. Why has Paul sent him? And the first reason given in verse 21 is so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. So the first here is that the Ephesians might also know how Paul is doing. Now, the ESV's English is slightly unusual also, but the Greek's even more unusual. 
so that you, you also might know how I am doing. And the implication is that others are getting reports of how Paul is doing. And if, here's one possible example, if Tychicus has already delivered the letter to the Colossians, and that could be who's in view, Paul could be sending other envoys to other churches. And Paul's concern is that they are hearing others are getting reports from Paul, and now they too, they also will get a report on Paul. Paul cares for these people. He doesn't just plant churches and leaves. He cares for them. We've seen him pray for them. And here, he wants them to know that they too, personally, are on his mind. He's sending someone to give a report of how he is doing. That they also might know how Paul is doing. Next, point two, that they might know how and what Paul is doing. So the concern here is Paul's personal how he's doing physically, spiritually, emotionally, how he's being treated. We know he's in jail. We know he's in chains for the sake of the gospel. But also, and this is the amazing thing, Paul is doing things. It's not just how he's doing, but what he's doing. He's still doing ministry. In Philippians, he boasts of how the message of the gospel has gone out to all the guard. It's even begun to creep into members of Caesar's household. It's remarkable. Paul doesn't let being in jail sideline him. He's still active in ministry. And so he's giving a report. We get these types of things from missionaries we support. Reports, how they're doing, what they're doing. Here's the biblical pattern for that. Here's a biblical model for that. It's right, it's good for them to be concerned that those who are dear to them, those who've sent them out, those who are praying for them, hear about them. And it's good for us to be concerned as well. So Paul wants them to know how and what he is doing. Now, I think in the first instance, and how this connects back, you can say, see in verse 21, even beginning with so, this isn't an entirely new thought. What has Paul just done? He's asked them to pray for him. And then, so, and I think the implication is so they can be better informed of how to pray for him, in part, he sent Tychicus. That's not the only reason, but it connects. It's much easier to pray for people when you know what's going on. It's difficult. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it when someone shares a prayer request or someone you don't know and doesn't give details. I don't know about you. I just find it difficult to pray earnestly for such things. But it's when someone I know, when it's details, right, I know what's going on. It's easier then to feel strongly about what should happen. Lord, given all that's going on, this is what we think you should do. This is what we ask for. This is our amen. And so Paul wants them to know how and what he is doing, I think, connecting to what came before, so they can better pray for him, and, next point, that their hearts might be encouraged. That their hearts might be encouraged. Not only does Paul have a love and concern for them, but we know they do for him. Turn back to chapter 3. Back to chapter 3, where Paul first mentions his imprisonment. Look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles. And he talks about the mystery that was revealed to him. Now jump down to verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is concerned. He doesn't want them to become discouraged. Now, the logic only makes sense if they care for him, if hearing about his imprisonment might discourage them. So he tells them here, don't, don't be discouraged. This is, this is working out according to plan. This is, this is God's purpose in action. And then, because he really doesn't want them to be discouraged, he sends Tychicus to encourage their hearts. So this verse here links back 
to 313. And so we see there was a mutuality of tenderness and concern. Paul caring for them. They're on his mind. He's praying for them. And Paul aware that they care for him. They would be discouraged if they heard things are going poorly for him. And he sends Tychicus that he might encourage them. Paul isn't idle. He's active. He's writing the New Testament. It's actually what he's doing in part, among other things. Or he's writing a portion of it. And that should encourage them. And so in this closing connection of, of commendation for Tychicus, we see the mutuality, we see the concern. And, and Paul's letters are a blend of high, clear, not clever, um, sophisticated truth. Paul can reason and think at high levels, and yet it's not a cold, sterile letter. It's, it's dripping with warmth and compassion and concern in, with, and around the glorious doctrine of the church, of the unity of Jew and Gentile, is Paul's concern for these people. Never forget these are real people communicating who concern for each other truly. This is another reason why, if we deny, as some in the more liberal type do Pauline authorship, passages like this become a farce. They become theater. There are some who say, does it matter if Paul really wrote it, if it's true? Well, this can't be true if Paul didn't write it. There have to be real people, a real messenger, real recipients who know each other and are concerned for each other for this passage to be true. And so there is no really holding to biblical authority and inerrancy without also holding to um, Pauline authorship of Ephesians. But that's just an aside. Okay, now let's move on to the closing benediction. A blessing on his hearers. I, I close many mornings. Our worship service with a benediction. Mine I usually use is from Numbers. But it's a blessing. It's a blessing. The letter begins with a blessing and it ends with a blessing. And it takes form over two lines. First, peace be upon you and grace be. So let's, let's look and read that now. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. And here we see four um, Christian virtues, peace, love, faith, and grace. And Paul is, is blessing these upon his readers. We'll take them one at a time. First, peace be to the brothers. I mean, the Greek plural brothers means brothers and sisters, the, the believers. He's praying for peace to be upon the believers. And not just any peace, but peace that comes with love and faith. And he names the source from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is praying for peace from the Father, from Jesus, a peace that comes with love and with faith. And he's tying up themes in this epistle. If you turn back to chapter 2, I'll remind you of some of the outline of the book, but the first three chapters dealing primarily with doctrine, the, the last three primarily with application. In chapter 2 are two extended contrasts. You were this way before, but now the first individual dealing primarily with sin and alienation and deadness. But the second, while it also deals with sin, also deals horizontally of our conflict and alienation from each other. And peace is highlighted in that second contrast. So he's praying for peace, but he's already told us where that peace comes from. Let's, let's read chapter 2, um, 
Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So having told us where this peace comes from, peace is only available because Jesus in his flesh on the cross took on the curse of the law. He bore our sins in his flesh. He Remove the dividing wall of hostility. And now Paul liberally, gladly prays that peace, this peace from God, be upon the believers, from the Father and from the Son. And having taught this, we understand how God truly can be holy, he can be just, he can be righteous, he can by no means put up with and endure sin, and yet he can send peace upon us sinful men and women because of what his son did. Peace be upon the brothers with love and faith um, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he prays for peace. Peace also is the general Jewish greeting, shalom. We'll look at the beginning of the letter in just a moment. And then he looks to a second blessing, grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And the second benediction ties in with the first. In the first, he's praying that something would come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants, he's praying that peace, united with love, united with faith, would be upon all the brothers and sisters, all the church. And now he's praying for a blessing, not just upon believers, but upon a particularly a group. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. With all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So notice this is a second category description. In the first, he defines who the recipients of the blessing are the brothers and sisters, the family, the household of God. Here, he speaks of them a different way, um, with possibly a, a tighter net. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. The word for incorruptible could also be translated immortal. That's the same word used in 1 Corinthians 15, speaking of the resurrection. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What he, the idea is this, a love that doesn't stop, a love that doesn't die. We know from the parable of the sower, there is some seed that springs up with joy hearing the word and dies when the sun comes out it's on rocky soil whatever that is it's not this notice also it connects first he prays that love with peace and faith would come to us and then he prays for a blessing to those who have that love so you see the source of this love is god himself and then he prays a blessing on top of that don't make the connection If, if you love the lord jesus christ that didn't well up from your goodness That didn't spring up from some righteous part of you. If you love him, it's because he first loved you. It's because his love is poured out in your hearts. Paul prays 
for peace, faith, and love from the Father, from the Son to come. And then the second blessing builds upon it. It builds upon it with a love incorruptible. Because, of course, as we get to the end of this letter, as we get to the end of this epistle, we, we hear what God has done for us. We're going to read the letter in just a minute. There can only be one response. An undying, sincere love of the Savior who died for us, who rose for us. Christians can be defined many ways. Those who believe, um, those who've repented, those who've turned to God. Here, those who love Jesus with an uncorruptible love. Point two, it can be our, our necessary response to the gospel. I'll just remind you, um, Romans 5.5 5 tells us that this love does come from God, just as Paul prayed it. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And 1 Corinthians 16.22 says this, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. There are no believers who don't love the Lord. It's the same group. Great peace be upon the brothers and sisters, and grace be upon those who love the Lord with an incorruptible love. I told you we'd turn back to the beginning of the book. Turn there now. This, this duo, peace and grace, is precisely how he opened the letter. He closes it as he began. Look at verse... One and two, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints from Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does he close the letter? A blessing of more peace and more grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to those who love the Son with an incorruptible love. So we're end where we began our study by reading this letter in its entirety. And I'd encourage you to look and see, remind yourself how, how well you're familiar with this letter and see if you can see things which might stir up and cause you to love the Lord Jesus Christ more fervently, more fully. This letter was delivered and nearly all those who received it received it through hearing. Scrolls and books were expensive and so a gathering of believers would come together and someone would do what I'm doing right now. They'd just read it. So in that instance, we are close to how the first hearers heard this. Tychicus shows up with the letter. The, the Ephesian believers learn Paul. Paul in jail is written to us and they gather to hear. I'm going to read the epistle now in its entirety. I encourage you to read along with me. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us 
in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. Therefore, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, 
which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery is made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light forever what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions? The earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. He might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband's her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's have a word of prayer as we prepare for our time of communion. Lord God, we thank you that you have so richly furnished us. Not only have you called us and saved us and redeemed us, 
but you have given us each other. You have not only made us to be at peace with you, but Jew and Gentile, slave and free. You've made us be at peace with each other. And not only have you made us your sons and daughters, given us access to you through faith and your spirit, but you've given us your word. And part of the reason we know why Paul was imprisoned was so that he would write this letter so that we, 2,000 years later, would be instructed and encouraged in it. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving us every spiritual blessing, for richly supplying all that we need, for giving us your very own armor, your word, your helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, we thank you for how richly we are furnished. I pray now, Lord, as we finish this study, that we would apply what we hear, that we would not be forgetful hearers who look in the mirror and forget what we look like, but that we would um, walk as we should and war as we should and pray as we should and conduct our homes and our marriages and our families as we should, that we would conduct ourselves in the workplace as we should, as befits those who have been redeemed. And Lord God, now we turn to celebrate um, a sign of the death of your son, of the cost that was paid, that we might become your sons and daughters. Uh, this, this sign that we celebrate pictures how it was that those who were alienated, strangers, separate from you, without hope in the world, could be brought near. We were not redeemed with perishable things as gold and silver, but we were redeemed by the blood of your Son. We pray that we would not take this lightly, that soberly, with joy and trembling, we would give this sign, proclaim his death until he comes. We pray now for this in Jesus' name. Amen.